But uh, we have a message this morning from the book of Galatians. How many of you have uh, read the book of Galatians and Colossians, but we're going to focus on Galatians today. The title of the message um, is one in which I wonder if you could answer the question. I actually wonder how you would answer the question. What is your gospel or what is um, the gospel? What is the gospel? Now, our youth went out to Barry and Linda's farm uh, yesterday for our um, kind of a youth group picnic. And we went out there, and they have, uh, just to give you a little background in case you don't know, they have a 25-acre uh, horse farm. Um, five horses were there. I think there's actually six, right? Liz's horse. Uh, so big farm. So we, we went out there, and uh, the youth, a uh, dozen or more youth, uh, they, they went fishing. Of course, I was in charge of that. Um, they chipped a uh, golf chipping contest. They uh, ran through the sprinkler. I think there were some adults that did that too, but I wasn't uh, watching that part. They pet the horses. They um, uh, pet the cats and the dogs, and they had good food, and um, they, they just had a good time. But before they did all of that, the, um, uh, the lesson that Barry taught um, was um, a good lesson on the parable of the sower and the seed. But because I had been preparing for this message and I had been thinking about the word gospel, um, it was neat that Barry started the lesson by asking the youth, what is the gospel? Now, teenagers don't really respond that well in our youth group unless we bribe them with candy. I suppose if we asked them to text their response, we'd probably get a much <laughs> higher response rate. Um, but needless to say, they didn't answer the question, what is the gospel? And I thought to myself, um, what would be an adult's response to that particular question? I wonder how many people just don't really understand the gospel. Um, oftentimes, we sometimes, or we might use that word when we're talking with other people. I'm sort of, I, I'm kind of... Um, careful about using what I would call churchy words when I talk to others that don't go to church and share my faith. I, I, I sort of hesitate to use those churchy words, and I feel like gospel is a churchy word, right? I mean, I feel like if somebody heard the word gospel, who knows if they've never been to church or never read the Bible, they might wonder, what does that mean? I mean, it's in the Bible over a hundred times, but what does it mean to them? Now, it has a simple meaning. All right? It has a simple meaning, but it also has a very complex meaning. The simple meaning is the meaning of the word itself. It's actually, gospel actually comes from two words, God, spell, and it means good story. So oftentimes as Christians we say, well, the gospel is good news. That's what it means. It means good news. But heck, if you win the lotto, that's good news, right? You've got money now. So it's more than that. It's the good news about Jesus, right? I mean, that's the simple definition, the good, the good news about Jesus. That's a simple version. The more complex version, though, now we've got to talk about propitiation and justification and sanctification and all these big fancy words um, that the whole New Testament, in essence, explains. But most people don't want that complex version, right? They want the simple version. We like the KISS principle, right? Keep it simple, saints. That's my KISS principle, all right? But how would you like to be able to share the gospel in nine words? That's what I want to give you this morning. 
the way to share the gospel in just nine words. You ready for it? The only justification for your sins is Jesus Christ. That's the gospel in nine words. The only justification for your sins is Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the gospel. That's actually how I think you could summarize the book of Galatians because in the book of Galatians, Paul was really trying to explain what the gospel was because they were doing some things to the gospel that wasn't right. Now, Paul used a lot more words because he wrote a lot of letters and in Galatians he writes six chapters and they actually break up nicely into three parts. And we're going to look at those three parts today. Chapters 1 and 2, chapters 3 and 4, and then chapters 5 and 6. But you should always remember, the gospel is, simply put, what is the gospel? It is the only justification for your sins is Jesus Christ. That's it. Three, three, and three. Three words, three words, three words. You can chunk it and remember it. Right? The only justification for your sins is Jesus Christ. Because as we're going to see here, that people tend to try and justify their sins in a whole bunch of different ways to get right with God. If you want to get closer to God, which I know you do, and you came here to get closer to God this morning, you want to understand the Bible, you want to fellowship and love one another, then you've got to understand the gospel. The true, pure form of the gospel. Now, Paul went through this on his first mission trip, I believe, through this little area of Galatia, which actually is made up of multiple cities. So there wasn't like a town called Galatia. It was, it was multiple cities that he had gone through. And he preached the gospel. And many people believed. They became Christians. They got baptized. They started going to church, right? And they were excited, but they were immature Christians. And Paul couldn't necessarily stay because he was on this mission trip, and so he left. And so later on, he had heard that these Christians that had become, um, uh, these people that had become Christians in the cities in Galatia, they were believing something different than what he had preached. And so he wrote them this letter. And you're going to find out pretty quick, and I'm sure you did if you read it, you might have picked up on the fact that, man, Paul was not being subtle in this letter. I mean, he was letting them have it because they, they, they were off track. So I want to kind of read to you just a few verses from the first couple chapters, and then we'll talk about a little bit about um, the different parts of the gospel. Okay, so first of all, verse 6, we'll start there. So if you have your Bible, you can go to Galatians 1, 6, or you can follow on the screen up here. But he says, I'm astonished to them. You are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ, and you are turning to a different gospel. A different gospel. The one, not the one that he had preached. Now, immature Christians in Galatia. Immature Christians really in a lot of churches. I mean, you're immature when you first become a Christian. It's just the way it is. You haven't learned. You haven't grown roots in the faith. That was the fun part about Barry's lesson yesterday to our youth group is that it was an on-site demonstration of the parable of the sower and the seed. If you know the parable of the sower and the seed, you know that the seed is, uh, falls on four different terrains, right? Four different terrains. And he was out there demonstrating. The only thing missing were his overalls, 
all right? He didn't look like a farmer, but uh, he, he is one, right? So he had this bag of seed, and he was demonstrating, and the youth were tuning in. They, of course, they were getting a little distracted by the cats and the chickens and all that, but they were, they were there. They were listening. And um, he pointed out, you know, that really the only seed in that parable, the only seed that will grow roots and develop fruit is the one that falls on fertile soil, good soil. And, of course, the explanation of that is, is that the seed represents the Word of God, God's Word, the Bible. And when a person receives the Bible, the truths of the Bible, the gospel, right, they begin to develop roots. And it's not just a one-time thing. Unfortunately, so many people think that Christianity is um, sort of, uh, I, I believe, I get baptized, and then I'm good to go. I can go live my life the way I want to live it. <laughs> It's not, it doesn't work that way, right? I mean, there's so much more to living for Christ. So you um, need to grow roots in your faith. And so the seed is the word of God, and you are the soil. And if you continuously receive the word of God, you're reading your Bible, you're going to church, you're in a Bible study, um, you begin to grow roots in your faith. And then you bear fruit. And that's what the Galatians weren't doing. Because... Before they could grow roots, in came these people that were trying to convince them that they needed to do something extra besides just believe what Paul had taught them, what the gospel is. So, verse 7, Paul goes on to say, There is not another gospel. There are some who are troubling you, and they want to distort, now we're going to leave that up on the screen right there, to distort the gospel of Christ. The word distort, I put in parentheses, that's the Greek word when you look it up. It's metastrepho, and that word means with twist. So some translations like the ESV, the one I'm using, uses the word to distort. Others might say twist, but the word I'm going to use today is the one that's going to be memorable for you so you remember it forever, and that word is pervert, all right? They pervert, as a verb, the gospel. And to pervert, the word means to alter from its original course. So these men, these Jewish men, were coming in, telling these new Christians, okay, that you need to, um, you need to, still get circumcised like a Jewish person does, and you need to obey the law like a Jewish person does, and then we call them Judaizers, okay? And that's what they were doing. They were perverting the gospel, the pure gospel. Jesus' death on the cross, not enough. You need to get circumcised. You need to obey the law. The law is the summary of all 600 commands. These were gospel perverts. The Judaizers also weren't even evangelizing non-believers. They were going after Paul's, the, one that, the, the, the ones that Paul led to Christ. I mean, that's not even right. They were leeching off of Paul because of what he had done. He had done all this work and shared, the faith, shared his faith and led him to Christ, and then they come in and try to take advantage of that, of their immaturity. By the way, cult leaders do the same thing, don't they? They take advantage of the vulnerable, the immature, right? They add a little Christian twist, right? That's how cults work. They're gospel perverts. Now, 
it's very unlikely that you would ever be pressured by um, Judaizers today. I doubt that would ever happen. I mean, to any of us, that anybody um, would, would um, um, pressure you to obey the law, but you never know. There could be some out there that do that. But similar to that are churches that might teach you, and maybe you came from a church, and you've been in a church like this, that have put on you unnecessary rules, unnecessary teachings, man-made traditions, if you will, and have caused you a lot of heartache because they tell you, you got to do this, and you got to do that, and you got to do this, right? And, and, and that's the same thing that these Judaizers were doing. God didn't intend for you to earn your way into heaven. So you have to be aware of that. I'm trying to warn you because I care about you, and I don't want to see you fall into those traps. I also don't want you to fall into the trap of following the popular authors of the day. There are a lot of popular authors that are writing Christian books and articles that may or may not be accurate biblically. I don't, I'm not, I, I don't have any particular author in mind other than this article that I'm going to share with you in a minute. But if you hear people saying about a new book or whatever, that, man, it's so good, like, like I'm, I'm, I'm seeing something in the Bible I never saw before. Huh, maybe it's not in the Bible. <laughs> Beware of these types of people that are perverting God's word. I'll give you this example. Um, I don't get to Macomb Daily anymore, but my mom gets the Sunday, and, and Bill gets the Sunday copy. And, um, I read this article. It's in the spiritual section. Uh, so this columnist is getting people to see what she's writing on a regular basis, this author. And there's a couple things about it that were troublesome to me. First of all, it starts off with a Bible quote, right? It starts off with a Bible quote, and then pretty much nothing in the body of the article was biblical at all. At the very end, one last statement says, Christ, I behold the Christ in you. Not Jesus Christ, but just Christ. The red flag, when I was, as I was reading it, popped up for me right away. The author was uh, following their favorite astrologer. Okay? And then mentions, this is the worst statement, okay, that was to me totally unbiblical. Who really knows anything for sure? I mean, that's the premise of the article, if you will. Who really knows anything for sure? He does. He's omniscient. He knows everything for sure. And that was troublesome to me. But that's an example of the Christian Christian authors of the day, of the gospel being perverted. We have to beware of that. Who really knows? Verse 8, Paul goes on to say, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Which is really a strong way of saying, go to the Depths of hell. Ananthema is the word. So, when I read that, I thought to myself, what? An angel is preaching a different gospel? What angel is preaching a different gospel? I'll tell you who. The one that visited Muhammad in 610 AD in Mecca, which resulted in the religion of Islam. 
or perhaps the one that visited Joseph Smith in upstate New York in 1823, which resulted in Mormonism. Those religions are based on an angel visiting a person and preaching a different gospel. What did 2 Corinthians tell us last week? The devil masquerades as the angel of light. The devil masquerades as an angel of light. Paul told these Galatians, you've got to beware of these gospel perverts. There's only one gospel, one truth, absolute. It's never going to change. The only justification for your sins is Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. Nine words. Now, if you've ever followed a perverted gospel, if you've ever been uh, under some bad teachings, don't fret. Even Peter, right? The great Peter, okay? He fell into this trap. It tells us in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul came across Peter a, a, a while into ministry. In chapter 2, verse 11, he says, Peter came to Antioch, and I opposed him to his face because he was condemned. He stood condemned. What was Peter doing that was wrong? Well, he was eating meals, sharing meals with Gentiles, probably eating, you know, some bacon or something, right? Some kosher, non-kosher food. And then these Judaizers came in and said, you can't eat with the Gentiles. You can only eat with, you're Jewish. You've got to eat with the Jewish people. And so he listened to them. He, he kind of felt peer pressured, right? And he, and he backed off. And Paul said, man, that's wrong. Paul called him out. So we see here, we don't see it clearly, but we, we assume here that Peter repented because he understood. There's only one gospel. Only one gospel. So stay away from the perverts. Can you do that? It's a good rule of thumb in life, all right? Stay away from those that pervert the gospel. Now we move on to chapters 3 and 4, which is called what I titled the perfect gospel. It was about 20 years ago that I was really into golf. Played a lot of golf, a few times a week. When I got a fishing boat a few years back, golf went out the window. Okay, That's, It happens. But I was really into golf, and I happened to have the a fortunate um, opportunity to take some lessons from a guy who probably could have been pro. I mean, he was really, really good. And there were uh, some free lessons, and, and I was taking some from him or getting some from him from free. And, and I was, um, uh, I remember I was hitting a seven iron, you know, and I, and, I, and I hit a really nice seven iron. And he says to me, Matt, that was perfect. You're never going to hit a better seven iron than that. Now, those words really stuck in my head, and I still remember them to this day. Because, see, I'm an athlete, and growing up, ever since I was five years old, I've been playing t-ball, baseball, right? Um, basketball, right? Football. I've played a lot of sports growing up, and one thing I've learned in sports is you're never satisfied. You always can play a better game. You can coach a better game. I can go out and catch more fish than the time I caught before, right? I can always do better. But this guy says, nope, that was perfect. You're never going to hit a better seven iron than that. And you know what? I believe them. And by the way, I still hit a pretty good seven iron. <laughs> but here's my point. The gospel is perfect. It's perfect. There's nothing that's ever going to be better. But the Judaizers didn't believe Paul 
when he told them this is the perfect gospel. They kept wanting to add something to it, right? Galatians 3, verses 1 through 3, Paul says to them, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? (laughs) Interesting word there. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed and crucified. And let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Holy Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? I mean, this is the gospel, the perfect gospel. The Holy Spirit does the work. You just believe. The flesh can never do what the Holy Spirit does. By the way, there's only two kinds of religions today. If you want to categorize them, there's only two kinds. There's works-based and there's faith-based. Right? And by the way, only one is faith-based. Only one. Just tell you to believe. That's Christianity. That's your faith. That's the only one. Think about it. Hinduism, renounce the world, relate to the spirit of the universe. Buddhism, walk by eight principles that lead you to salvation. Judaism, obey the law and be saved. Islam, pray five times a day, give alms, fast for Ramadan, obey the commands of Allah. Christianity, just believe in Jesus. The only justification for your sins is Jesus Christ. That's the gospel, the perfect gospel. And Paul's telling him this in in chapter 3. Then he says this in verse 11. It's evident that no one is justified before God by the law. And then he quotes, it's in quotes, the righteous will live by faith. Now this was something I learned, this was was new for me. um, When you really dive in and you study um, for for a a message or teaching, you you tend to learn a lot of new things. And I learned something new here, and I thought this was really neat to share with you. Because I never understood this, but we're going through the whole Bible in a year, and it it really comes out to us, I think, in this particular um, passage here. But do you know who said the righteous will live by faith first? So without cheating and looking you know, in your little notes there, anybody know which, I'll give you a hint, it was a minor prophet in the Old Testament. Paul was quoting a minor prophet. And the extra points, if you pronounce it correctly. <laughs> Vince, what's your guess? Nope, it's close though, it starts with an H. Nope, the other one. <laughs> there you go. Habakkuk, Habakkuk, I don't know, we're, we're going to go with whatever. So, so yeah, yeah, Habakkuk said it. The righteous shall live by faith. But here's the cool part. Paul quotes it three times. That is, if we give credit to Paul for writing Hebrews. He says it three times. And each time that he quotes it, he's emphasizing a different part of the saying. In Romans, he says it in Romans 1.17, I believe it is, the righteous will live by faith. He's emphasizing the righteous. What's Romans all about? Being righteous. And then here in Galatians, he says, he's emphasizing the will-live part because it's how we live by freedom, the grace of the, the gospel of grace. And then in Hebrews, isn't that book about faith? The righteous will live by faith. Paul quotes it three times, all for different emphasis. Very cool, I think. 
Now, Pastor Ray Stedman said this about Martin Luther. Martin Luther, of course, being sort of the the, um, person who brought us the Protestant Reformation, if you will, amongst others. But uh, Pastor Ray Stedman said this. More than 450 years ago, the monk of Wittenberg strode up and nailed his 95 thesis to the door of the castle church and therefore began what we call the Protestant Reformation. Here was a man who had tried his very level best to find his way to heaven according to the pathway of works. I don't know if you know much about Martin Luther. If you've ever seen a movie or read his, his uh, um, biographies, but he tried to make his way to heaven through works. He had done everything the church of his day suggested. He tried fasting, indulgences, the sacraments, the intercession of the saints, penitence, confessions. He endured long night vigils, heavy days of labor. He had done everything he could, but the harder he worked, the more his inner distress increased. The farther he got from peace, because he kept working and working and working. And do you know what finally gave him peace? Galatians and Romans. Some believe Galatians was his favorite book. Because Galatians explains the gospel. It's perfect. The only justification for your sins is Jesus Christ. No works are necessary. That's the beauty of the perfect gospel. Did you come here today with a broken spirit and a crushed heart? Because that's the offering God wants. That's all he needs from you. He knows you're falling apart. We all are. He just wants you to come to him with a broken spirit and a crushed heart. Because the perfect gospel will pick you up and wrap its arms around you and tell you, I love you. I died for you. The only justification for your sins is Jesus Christ. Paul ends with a verse I wish right now the world would take to heart. Galatians 3.28. Paul says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, no, near, uh, neither male or female, neither black or white, for we are all one, in Christ Jesus. The perfect gospel is not racist. It doesn't discriminate. It simply says all souls matter. And that's what we see in Galatians. Chapters 5 and 6 now bring us to what Paul, how he always ends his letters. Very practical, right? Very practical living. The gospel of grace will bring you freedom. But before he tells you about freedom, well, actually in the midst of it, he brings up, I feel like it's his one last burst of righteous anger. (laughs) I mean, Paul did not hold back in this letter, I told you this, but you're about to see um, that his last comment here is a doozy, all right? He is really strong. He says in verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump, right? You know, talking about bread, right? Leaven, we use the bread. A little leaven affects the whole batch, right? He understood a little gospel perversion affects the whole church. Affects all of us. 
If I was up here teaching you something that was not in the Bible, but it was my own agenda, and I, and I just kept preaching it and preaching it and preaching it, it'd affect the whole church. If one of you decides to form your own little clique, and start teaching something that's not in the Bible, that's not the gospel, it's going to affect the whole church. If you went to the doctors for your routine checkup, and they told you, you have stage four cancer. How do you want the doctor to respond to that? You want the doctor to tell you, you know what, just go home. Don't worry about it. Don't even think about it. Okay? It's going to be okay. You know, probably go away anyway. Or do you want a doctor to act with urgency and find the best possible solution for your treatment? Yeah, that's what you want. So what did Paul do when he found out that this little leaven, right, was, was, was coming up, this, this distortion of the gospel, the perfect gospel, he acted with urgency. And he says to these people, verse 12, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Right? They're the people who are telling you, you've got to be circumcised. Paul's saying, cut it all off. Yeah. I'm telling you. It was harsh. <laughs> he was fired up. Because the only justification for your sins is Jesus Christ. You don't need to get circumcised. You don't need to add the law. You need to believe in Jesus. Grace brings freedom. And here we are in Galatians 5. Everyone loves Galatians 5 for freedom. Christ has set us free. That's verse 1. Stand firm, therefore. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. If you were ever in a church or under any kind of teaching that had a bunch of rules that you had to follow to, um, to get to heaven, um, or, or they taught you that you had to give um, to be blessed, and you had to uh, come to church, otherwise it's a sin, that is wrong. All right, That is a perversion of the gospel, and don't return to that system of religion It never makes you free. The law is a religion of rules. Grace is a relationship with Jesus. Think about that. The law, it's a religion of rules. But grace is a relationship with Jesus. Christianity isn't even a religion. It's a relationship with Jesus. Verse 13 and 14. You are called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Don't use this freedom, though, as an opportunity for your flesh to sin more but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, love your neighbor as yourself. Now there are some that will take advantage of grace. There are some that will say, well, I'm forgiven. Past, present, future, I go to live my life any way I want, and, I, and, and I'm okay, I just got to pray at the end of the day. All right? That's bad theology. Okay? Grace doesn't give you freedom to sin more. Grace gives you the freedom to love those you could never love on your own. Think about that. That's what Paul's saying here. Those people that sin against you, those people that are mean to you, cut you off on the road, (laughs) right? That are different than you. Different than you. Remember the Good Samaritan? What's significant about the Good Samaritan? Jesus tells the parable of that Good Samaritan because the Samaritan was racially different than the others. And yet, he's the hero of the story. He's the one who truly loves his neighbor as himself. 
That's what grace does. It allows you to love people you never thought you could love. It frees you, if you will, to love one another. Verse 16 and 17, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So forget Star Wars, think flesh wars, <laughs> all right? Every day you're in a flesh war, right? I mean, that's, that's my life. Every day it's a battle, right? How do you win the war? Paul tells you, verse 25, if you want to win, you've got to live by the Spirit. You've got to keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. I joke with Jamie. She says, you want to go for a walk? And I say, not really, because you walk too fast. And I got long legs, but she just walks really, really fast. So I just started taking my bike now. But if you want to walk uh, with God, then you've got to keep up with the Holy Spirit. Keep up with the Spirit. Now, I have two apple trees in our yard. Two apple trees. And right now, they are growing. Really, They're really tiny little apples, right? Tiny little apples. But I noticed the other day when I was cutting the grass and I went by the two trees, I saw the apples. I saw the limbs that were holding the apples. They were sweating. You ever seen trees sweat to produce fruit? Me neither. I'm totally kidding with you. They don't sweat. They just hang in there. They stay connected. You know John 15, right? I'm the vine, you are the branches. Think about it. You want to produce fruit in your life? You've got to stay connected. You don't need to sweat it all out. You don't need to work, 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 work. You need to stay connected. Hang in there. And really, I love at the end here of these last three verses, the fruit of the Spirit, you know this verse, you've heard it probably a thousand times. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. You want this in your life. Patience. Oh, anybody need patience today? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Anybody need a little self-control? That's the fruits of the Spirit. And against those things there is no law. And those, this is the part that's hard for some of us, those who belong to Christ Jesus will crucify your flesh with its passion and its desires. Crucify your flesh with its passions and stuff. You need to prune, right, those dead branches, those things in your life that don't have any eternal value, right? You need to cut those out. Crucify them. Then you can use your freedom to, in chapter 6, we finish up with restore one another. What does the law do with sinners? Condemns them. What does grace do? Restores them. When you mess up, do you want someone telling you, I told you so? Condemning you? Beating you up? You idiot? Why'd you do that again? Or do you want someone restoring you? Forgiving you? Helping you up? Telling you you can do it? That's what that's what the gospel of grace does. It brings freedom. It helps you restore one another, and it bears one another's burdens. This is all in chapter 6. It bears one another's burdens. Fellowship is more than going fishing and having a barbecue out at the broccoli farm. Fellowship is bearing each other's burdens. Right? 
helping each other through those tough times. And then finally he says, be do-gooders. <laughs> Go out of your way to help one another. And this is a great church of doing that. We help one another, and I love that. It's a wonderful church to be in. So the gospel of grace brings freedom. So the next time someone asks you, maybe they will. Maybe an unchurched, non-churched person will come to you and say, what's the gospel? I don't understand that word. What's, that? what's the gospel? You can tell them, right? The only justification for your sins is Jesus Christ. Now they're probably going to need a little more explanation than that, but you can tell them your story and then his story, right? And then lead them to Christ. Because we are only justified through Jesus Christ. Amen? I'm going to pray and we have a final song. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you so much for this morning hearing your word, the truth of your word and nothing else. God, I pray that I will never come up here and distort your gospel. Father, I pray that you would protect this church and protect all of us as we go out into the world and that we would, ah, we would just honor you, God. We would not allow ourselves to take in, listen, learn from those that are perverting your gospel, twisting it, distorting it. God, I pray that you would help us to stay true and stay on the narrow path. Pray that we would build each other up, bear each other's burdens, restore one another, love one another, time and time again, forgive over and over and over again. I pray that we would do that in this church and that we would, we would be such a light and salt to those around us in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces, that, that they would be drawn to you, God. They would be drawn to, to your love and your forgiveness. I pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen.